0: How's everyone doing? Good. Uh, one, of, one of the most enjoyable things uh, for me as a dad is when I get to read to my kids. And I remember when my two oldest kids were, were younger, sadly they don't want me to read to them anymore, but when they, I know, but when they were younger um, I remember always laying in the hallway uh, between their two bedrooms at night and reading to them for like an hour or maybe more if we were really getting into it. Uh, every night, and we just went through some, some awesome books and series during that time, Narnia, Wingfeather Saga, uh, a bunch of other good ones. Uh, one of the ones my daughter found um, at the local library was called uh, City of Ember. So I don't know if some of you are familiar with City of Ember. Uh, there was a couple other books made uh, to go along with it. There was even a movie made. But it was kind of a really interesting story It took place, and kind of in the future where there had been like nuclear disaster on the earth. And so these, these people saw that the earth wasn't like you know healthy to live on, so they, these people called the builders had built a city underground and gave instructions on how to get out of the city of Ember after like 200 years when they thought it would be safe again. So they, so they made these instructions and put them in this box, and they set up the box to, to open up after like 200 years, and they passed it on to the mayor of the city. And the mayor was supposed to pass it down to the next mayor. They—they they weren't even to the mayor just didn't even know what was in it. They just wanted—they were just supposed to keep it safe until it opened of its own. So they passed it along, and then finally there was a there was a careless mayor along the way, and it got lost. And so the city is going beyond the the 200 or so years where it's supposed, you know, set up for. It all runs on this big generator, and you know they're running out of light bulbs and. Uh, there's there's uh, frequent power outages where they're just in complete darkness. And so people are starting to get worried. There's kind of a coughing sickness because the air is not that good. So things are just starting to go wrong. And it wasn't supposed to, they weren't supposed to be down there that long, but they don't even know that the, the people now don't even know that they, were, that they came from you know, the surface of the earth. They just thought this was normal. They just thought this is how they lived until a couple of the main characters uh, discover some of the instructions. And then they realize, like, this isn't, this isn't what we're made for. We're, we're made for a city up above, not this city. And so the, just the, the spiritual analogies were just, like, you know, popping out of me. It's like, you know, we discover from God's word, like, we're, this isn't all we're made for. There's, there's a city above that's coming down to the earth, and that's actually what we're made to live for. In a similar way, I think, in the story of Josiah, you know, Things aren't going well. And they, they discover the book um, that had been lost and they realize we're not supposed to be living this way. Things aren't right. This isn't this isn't how we were made to live. And so it just just God's word comes in and, and it just changes like we're just we're just living for this place, but this isn't really what we're supposed to be living for. This isn't how we're supposed to be living. God has different plans for us, and when we let his word come and speak into the situation, then we see those those different plans, and, and they change everything. I'm going to go ahead and pray as we, as we get into the Word here. Father God, we just thank you so much for your Word. We thank you that we, we have your book. So God, let it, let it guide us, let it, it lead us, so that we live the way you want us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. So you kind of got the picture from the video. Whoa. Are we okay here? All right. <laughs> okay, so you kind of got the picture from the video, but the, the background of the reign of King Josiah, it, it's, it's a pretty bleak story. Just before him, uh, there was the King Manasseh over Judah, and he reigned for 55 years. So a very long, long reign and a very wicked reign. Uh, just for example, 2 Kings 21.10 says and the Lord said by his servants the prophets because Manasseh king of Judah has committed these abominations and has done things more evil than all that the Amorites did so the people that God had displaced from the promised land because of their wickedness when he sent his people in there Manasseh and those you know those following him have done worse than all those people that God dispelled from the land so those who were before him and has made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. So he reigned 55 years. He, he sacrificed his own son to pagan idols. Uh, also at this time, not only is, is Judah struggling from this long reign of a wicked king, but the northern kingdom, Israel, at this point, has already been taken into captivity to Assyria. So they're, they're done. There's no, there's no king over, Assyria, or over the northern kingdom of Israel. Assyria is technically over them at this time, but Assyria has kind of grown weaker in power. So their, their influence is, is waning at this time. But this is what Josiah comes into at the ripe age of eight years old to become king. Here you go. 55 years plus two more years of a king in between. So 57 years of absolute wickedness. God's judgment is pretty much settled on the land. Here you go, 8-year-old Josiah. You're in charge. Josiah was 8 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. So that's, that's where we start with. Also, though, at the same time, God's raising up prophets more and more during this time. So during this time when Josiah is king, Uh, Jeremiah's ministry is going on. Uh, Also, the the ministry of Zephaniah is is happening. So I'm just going to read a couple verses from Zephaniah because it's also kind of part of the background to Josiah's story. Uh, Zephaniah 1, 4 and following, I will stretch out my hand, the Lord says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and I'll cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. So you've got Jeremiah, you've got Zephaniah prophesying, judgment's coming. The wickedness has reached its its final limit. But there's still hope, there's still hope. Zephaniah 2.3 just gives a little a glimpse of the hope that's possible. Zephaniah 2.3, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. There's a chance you might be hidden. And I just I feel like this is relevant perhaps for, for us in the situation we're in. we're in. We're in an American culture that I think if you have a heart tender to the Lord you would probably agree that some judgment from God is really fitting for our country. I mean, how many, what, 60, 70 million innocent unborn children's blood? I mean, history of racial injustice, sexual immorality off the charts. I mean, things aren't good for those who have a heart tender to the Lord. And so I think that this word that... The point is not give up, there's no hope. Just wait for, for the Lord to come back. I mean, that's kind of the story here. Zephaniah 2, three. Seek the Lord. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. That God will love to bring mercy in the midst of judgment for those who seek the Lord. So don't just give up and oh, doom certain. And then we see in the story of Josiah that God has a place for mercy even when judgment is imminent on the land. That, thing, that those who seek the Lord can change things. So we're just going to read some parts of the story of Josiah, get into to some of the points I think that we can take away. So start 2 Kings 22. Um, it says, Josiah, verse 2, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the way of David his father. And I just... I love that it says he walked in the way of David, his father. His father wasn't David. His father was Ammon, and before that his grandfather was Manasseh, two wicked kings. But because he followed the Lord, God sees his father as the one he took after, David, one who was after the Lord's heart. I just, I just find that encouraging that God, God doesn't see. Maybe you come from a broken family, but maybe you're following the Lord, and God sees you coming from a, a godly lineage, even if though that's not maybe what you directly inherited, and and actually you see then the son of Josiah who takes over after him is they don't say he took after Josiah his father but took after those kings before him who were wicked. So God sees your father as him who you take after in a sense. Uh, so getting in first Josiah, first thing it says in 2 Kings twenty two is that Josiah. Uh, he cared for the, for the restoration of the temple. He, he made sure money and work was being given so that the repairs of the temple were happening. Uh, and so you see already kind of the start of his tender heart for the Lord. And then moving on, we see that the book of the law is found. So uh, they, they read the book of the law to Josiah, and, and he heard it, and he tore his garments, and he was like, This is not good news. We haven't been living this way. God's judgment is coming. And so I'm going to pick it up there. Um, Verse 11, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes, and the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Achbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Asaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to, to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam, and Achbor, and Shaphan, and Asiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her. And it's so interesting, you find this, this Huldah, character, this prophetess. It's like, where, where'd she come from? You don't hear about her anywhere else in the Bible. It seems like she was maybe kind of a, similar to Anna in the New Testament in, in Luke chapter 2, this, just this uh, woman who has this reputation of she was godly. She, she sought the Lord. She heard from the Lord. And it's interesting, too, with, with Jeremiah and Zephaniah, who seem to be prophesying about this time, like, how come, how come he, he went to this, this hold of the prophetess? Some have suggested that maybe, maybe being a woman that he thought maybe uh, her words would be like a little more tender and gentle, you know, more kind of a mother to Israel. I don't know if that's the case. Maybe it was just because her ministry was more established because she was a little older and these other prophets were still kind of young at this time. If he did hope for kind of a tender answer, he didn't get it. Um, she says to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord. When you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. So you see there, just what Zephaniah said in two three. Perhaps you may be hidden in the day of the anger of the Lord, that Josiah responds with a tender heart, and God says there will be mercy even in the midst of this judgment. So then moving on to kind of what, what Josiah did then in 2 Kings 23. Well, first off, he gathers everyone together. He gathers the leaders and he reads to them from, this, from the book of the law that he had found. You know, he had been reading it and he reads it to all the people. And this is actually what Deuteronomy 17 said the kings were always supposed to be doing for the people of Israel. They were supposed to have a copy of God's book. They are supposed to read it and read it to the people, but it hadn't been happening. So Josiah kind of gets that happening again. And then we kind of pick it up uh, in 23 verse 4 with kind of the reforms of Josiah. And uh, I just want to read through this a bit because the, it's breathtaking, the, the extent he goes to to cleanse the land. So we're just going to go into that a little. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven, He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the host of the heavens. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. And he brought all the priests of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city which were on one's left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Molech. And it's interesting in 22.10 there, the valley of the son of Hinnom. The, the valley of Hinnom uh, comes over into the Greek as Gehenna, which is actually the name that Jesus used when he talked about hell in the New Testament. He used the word Gehenna, which comes from this valley of Hinnom. So it's this picture of this place near Jerusalem. that's this place of wickedness and destruction where they burned children as offerings. And that's the, na- that's the word that gets used in the New Testament for hell. Gehenna, valley of Hinnom. And he removed the, ho- the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melch of the Chamberlain. Which was in the precincts, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire, and the altars on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He. Pulled down and broke in pieces, and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. And the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And he broke in pieces the alt, the pillars, and cut down the Asherim and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar at Bethel. This is another thing I love about Josiah. He's he's not only cleansing the land of Judah that he's king over, he goes into the northern kingdom of Israel and cleanses that too. He cares for all of God's people. Moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, the altar with the high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah, and as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed who had predicted these things. So this goes back to 1 Kings 13. 300 years before, they said the name Josiah. Josiah, a son of David, is going to come and he's going to burn the bones of the priests who made offerings on this altar. 300 years and now it's happening. Then he said, what is that monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. And he said, Let him be, let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. And Josiah removed all the shrines also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did to them according to all that he had done at Bethel. And he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem. It goes on, He's, he starts to celebrate the Passover again according to what he found in the book of the law, then kind of the end of the story, he dies, it goes on from there. Um, so I just want to pull out five principles from this story uh, that struck me. So first, Josiah sought the Lord. In the parallel passage of Second Chronicles 34.3, it says, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. And in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim and the carved and the metal images. So at the age of 16, he seeks the Lord. And that starts into motion, this whole thing of, of mercy coming in the midst of judgment. God maybe pushing back, delaying his judgment because a 16-year-old begins to seek the Lord. And so I just encourage you young people. It's not too early to seek the Lord. You don't know what effect you could have in this country because you start seeking the Lord. Josiah encountered the word of God, 2 Kings 22.11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. 2 Kings 23.2. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. He sought the Lord, he encountered the word of God, and he had a tender heart. When he heard the word, he had a tender heart. And that's what Huldah the prophetess said about him. That's why God was giving him mercy, that God was saying, you're going to go down to your grave in peace. Because when he heard it, he responded with a tender heart regarding the words that you've heard because your heart was penitent or tender in some translations, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants. Josiah serves the Lord with zeal. And that's what really struck me reading through chapter 23. He was zealous. I mean, verse 6, He brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. Like, he didn't just set aside this Asherah pole. He burned it, ground it to dust, cast the dust. I mean, he, was, he wasn't just like, I'm just going to do enough so that maybe things will go a little better. He wanted to completely cleanse the land of anything that would turn God's people's hearts away. Josiah serves the Lord with zeal, yet all the good he did, Josiah did not save God's people. Josiah did not ultimately save God's people. He did a lot of good. God's mercy came. But he didn't ultimately save God's people. At the end of his story Says, before him there is no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, and with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Still, the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath, by which his anger was kindled against Judah, because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, My name shall be there. And kind of, the, the whole story of First and Second Kings is, is basically removing all earthly hopes for salvation. You've got, I mean, you've got the start of it with Solomon, the wisest king ever. But he doesn't, he doesn't save God's people. You've got the building of the temple, this, this great structure to give people a picture of God's presence with them. But it doesn't ultimately save God's people. You have prophets. You have finding the the book of God's law. None of these things ultimately save God's people because doing good things or having wisdom or having the temple, none of these things do what what needed to be done. Still, the Lord did not turn from the burning of his his great wrath. Something needs to happen to take the wrath away. And that happens by a greater son of David than Josiah. And the Passover points to it. He, He begins to celebrate the Passover again. And that points to, to what needs to happen. A lamb, a perfect lamb, sacrifice to be a picture of the taking away of sins. But ultimately, we need the real lamb of God so that God's wrath is completely ended against his people who put, his tru- put their trust in him. So, if you hear me saying, just, just do these things like Josiah did and you'll be good. No, we, we can't follow steps to save ourselves. That doesn't take care of the biggest problem. Wrath needs to be removed. And the only way that's done is by a perfect lamb, the great son of David, Jesus, coming, taking away God's wrath. And then when we have responded to that and embraced the lamb of God, when we've done that, then, then God adopts us and gives us his spirit so that we can then emulate a life like Josiah, that we can, we can turn back and say, all right, what, what can I pull out of this? I'm not doing these things in order to save myself. Only Jesus saves. But now that he's put his spirit within me, how can I emulate a life like Josiah so that maybe in the midst of judgment that that is probably really likely on our land, maybe God will pour out mercy in the midst of it. Do we seek the Lord? Psalm 63 God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. you. Do Do we seek the Lord? Do we seek him early in the morning? Do we seek him late at night? Do we make time to get alone with him? Do we seek him with others? Do we seek the Lord? Do we encounter God's word? Do we delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night? Do we make sure that we make time that that God can have his way in us through his word, that he can search us, that he can reveal to us what, what needs to be revealed? Do we know that God's word rejoices the heart, revives the soul? That God's word makes us wise for salvation? Do we encounter his word? Do we have tender hearts? Like Isaiah 66 says, This is the one to whom I'll look, who's humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Do we do we tremble at his word? Do we ask God? Do we do we open his book and say, God, give me a heart that trembles? Give me a heart that that lets your word come in and do surgery, that that lets your word come in and grab a hold of me and change me. Do we have zeal? Do we have zeal? Romans 12 says, Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Be boiling in spirit. Serve the Lord. Don't be slothful in zeal. And we see that picture of Jesus in the temple. When he's cleansing it out, getting rid of the money changers, and the disciples respond by saying they remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And, and that's what he did for the temple. And, and now, those of you who trust in Christ, it says that you are the temple of his spirit. So, so ask him to come. Let, let Jesus, by his spirit, come and, and cleanse this temple again. Come with your zeal, Lord, and cleanse. Get rid of everything that turns my heart away from you. Let me live with zeal. And, and in speaking about zeal, I don't, you, know, you can have a zeal that just kind of flares up for you know, a few days, a few months, and then just, fizzles out. We don't. That's not what we're looking for. We want a steady zeal. We want a zeal grounded in God's word, one that lasts year after year, one that we need to keep refueling day after day. Not just uh, I don't. I don't want just like enthusiasm for a week and then oh, that didn't go so well, and you're kind of worse off than before. But a zeal. A zeal that comes from God's word. A zeal that comes from, from letting, this, letting this book get a hold of us. Because I don't know, it, those who aren't grounded in God's word and those who aren't grounded in sound doctrine, I, I don't know anyone like that who's willing to go give their lives for the Lord. Who's saying, yeah, maybe it's true that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Maybe it's true that this is the word, it, word of God. If you're, not, if you're not convicted that this is real, you're not, you're not going to live with a steady zeal that's going to be worth anything. So in closing, the worship team can start to come up. How, how do we, how else, I mean, we've talked about a tender heart, asking God to, to work in our hearts as we read his word, asking God to have his zeal in us. And ultimately, I just want to bring it back to looking at Jesus for all things. Um, it says in Titus 2 that he gave himself for us to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That, that's why he died, to, to get a people who belong to him who are zealous for good works. And so I just, I think one of the ways we can get that, that steady zeal that, that is grounded in something is just by over and over going back and looking at Jesus' opening, opening God's word and looking at Jesus. Look at him as, as he comes as a, as a humble baby. Look at him as he's reaching out and touching lepers, raising the dead, going to those who no one else goes to. Look at him as he's in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood to fight for our souls. Look at him as he's hanging on the cross, disfigured beyond recognition, asking for forgiveness for those killing him. Look at him as he's overcoming the grave and saying, I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Look at him and see see if that doesn't stir up zeal. The zeal he died to purchase, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So let's pray together as worship team closes. There will be people uh, willing to pray with you on the sides. I'll be happy to pray with you after the service is done. Um, But if you want prayer, make sure you, you get that. But let's go ahead and pray together as we move into worship. Father in heaven, that's my prayer, Lord. I pray for everyone here, Lord, that you would reveal the Lamb of God to them and that they would become a people for your own possession who are zealous for good works. Please put that zeal in all of us, so that you would be glorified in what we do as we walk out of here. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.